The following sermon was delivered on Sunday, February 23, 2020, at the Unitarian Universalist Congregation in Andover by the Reverend Callie Fire. The title of the sermon is Something for Another Day. Here begins the sermon. My friend and colleague, Kimberly Devis, recently brought to mind these lyrics from David Gray's song, My Oh My. What on earth is going on in my heart as it turns as cold as stone? Seems these days I don't feel anything lest it cuts me right down to the bone. What on earth is going on in my heart? Because my oh my, you know it just don't stop. It's in my mind. I want to tear it up. Been trying to fight it, trying to turn it off, but it's not enough. I know many of us resonate with these lyrics, whether in the news or headlines or social media, we endure an onslaught of the latest tragedies, one ecological crisis after another, the continued battering of human rights. And each time, just as we begin to believe we have finally hit the bottom, the rock bottom, something else stuns us into disbelief. You know, it just don't stop indeed. And in the midst of it all, life goes on. Our bosses still expect us to come into work. Trains, planes, and public transportation still run. TV programs still keep their cycle to entertain us. Birds still sing, and the sun still rises. Many of us are in some state or another of lamentation. Holly Meir writes about this in her song, I Am Writing. I Am Willing, excuse me. There is hurting in my family. There is sorrow in my town. There is panic in the nation. There is wailing the whole world round. Some of us are in a state of exhaustion. We feel it physically. We feel it emotionally. We feel it mentally and spiritually. And some of us are shutting down. I'm reminded of an episode of the TV show The Good Place where the character Eleanor is in one scene. She's attempting to do good but sees no reward in that. She turns to a coworker, and she says, being good is for suckers. What do you even get out of it? The coworker replies, a feeling of fulfillment in your soul. And Eleanor ponders and says, gross. <laughs> so how many of us resonate with that? <laughs> and some of us are just overwhelmed. We've been treading water, and we've been treading water and treading water, and exhaustion is beginning to compound. Depression is increasing, and it's like the planet is experiencing a depression. Um, I once had a, a therapist explain depression as um, okay is a baseline, and we have a cycle of rhythms where things are, we can see over and things go under. And then with depression, that okay line is just higher than it is for some people. And so it's harder and harder when you're up in the higher end to see over that it's okay line. And it almost feels like that's going on globally right now. So how do we manage what we're dealing with is prolonged, consistent exposure to extreme stress. This is worldwide stress and worldwide weariness. 
And in situations of stress, we have an automatic physiological response. It's a body response, and in normal, low-stress or no-stress situations, we function fine with it. It's, we have a cognitive thinking, primarily a cognitive part of us, um, thinking part that primarily monitors us throughout the day, and we move through and be able to accomplish our tasks with the thinking side of ourselves. And we do have some awareness of our feelings, and we take those into consideration, but the thinking part of ourselves generally holds a little bit more authority and a little bit more sway and guides us with input from our feelings. So when this, this physiological response takes over, it's the fight or flight. And this is our innate defense mechanism to stress. But our brain doesn't recognize the difference between a physical threat and um, an emotional, mental, a thought-based threat. So when we're under emotional and mental stress, the body reacts the same way as if we're under imminent physical danger. And so what happens is that emotional side takes over. And the emotional side now has more authority. And it takes control. And we stop really paying attention to thinking. And we react more quickly. And, and our responses and our actions are based on our strong emotional output. At first, these coping mechanisms are normal, and we move through those in an effective, normal response to stress. When stress goes away, everything returns to normal. But when we continue in this prolonged stasis, extreme stress, this gets dis disconnected, and it gets out of whack, and it kind of stays in that, in that position. And sometimes, for some people, the coping mechanisms we use can overpower them. What no longer, it doesn't seem to work any longer because of the constant input that we're getting. So we try to increase that activity because it worked before. So if we do more, maybe we just haven't done enough of it. So we end up, it ends up causing us to disengage from our routine parts of ourselves. We disengage from friends and family. And sometimes, for some people, some of these things can even become addictions in, in the right circumstances and the right moments. But before we get to those extremes, when we're at the beginning of that disengagement and we're just going through the motions, it's important to remember at that time balance, the balance between thought and emotion. Nipun Mehta wrote a, an article in Parabola magazine Talking about balance, he writes, when one foot walks, the other foot rests. Doing and being have to be in balance. Our rational mind wants to rightfully ensure progress, but our intuitive mind needs also space for the emergent, the unknown, and the unplanned to arise. Doing is certainly important, but when we aren't aware of our internal ecosystem, we get so vested in plans and actions that we don't notice the buildup of mental residue. Over time, that unconscious internal noise starts polluting our minds, our motivations rather, and our ethics and our spirit. And so it's critical that we still the mind, that we slow down. A melody, after all, can be created only when there is silence in between the notes. 
That clarity, paradoxically enough, blurs our previous distinctions between me versus we, inner transformation versus external impact, and selfishness versus selflessness. Which is to say, don't just go through life, grow through life. It will be easy and tempting for you to arrive at reflexive answers, but make it a point instead to acknowledge mystery and welcome rich questions. Questions that nudge you toward a greater understanding of this world and your place in it. So he talks about balance, but we also heard still the mind, mindfulness, the silence between the notes. Linda Graham is a marriage family therapist, and she's the author of the book Resilience. And she talks about the relationship between mindfulness and self-compassion. So she talks about this as a top-down versus a bottom-up theory. Mindfulness brings awareness to our experience, and self-compassion brings acceptance to our experience. So we have awareness and we have acceptance. Subtle, but they are different. So self-compassion is the bottom-up. It's body-based. It's emotion-based practices that shift the focus from the brain down into, out of our automatic survival responses, which creates an automatic negativity out of the brain and into our more open brain state, an old receptive brain state. This receptive brain state then allows us to shift our behaviors. Mindfulness practices are top-down, so it's a conscious awareness and a reflection that leads to wise choices and wise actions. With mindfulness, we focus our attention on what is happening and our reactions to it. And this, we, focus, we shift the focus of the brain away from its default network that is responsible for worry and rumination. Our brain thinks it's, it has to be always thinking about what's going on and how to protect us. So in the moments of mindfulness, we give it an opportunity to take a break from that work. Mindfulness facilitates the functioning of the prefrontal cortex, the structure of the brain that we use for our self-awareness. It also regulates our nervous system. So when we take a break with mindfulness, we can calm our nerves down. We quell that fear response that we have. And we move ourselves in the the coping skills back into good judgment, back into planning, effective decision-making, and resilience. Compassion is one of several pro-social emotions that have been studied and behavioral scientists and neuroscientists for the last 20 years. Among those others is also gratitude, kindness, generosity, joy, awe, delight, and love. Self-compassion is especially potent because it activates our caregiving system. And not just for us, but when we're giving ourselves self-compassion, we are caring about ourselves, but that encourages us to bring that care outward. And it moves us to act and care and protect those we, we care for and those we love as well. We have found that daily practices of these 
positive pro-social emotions have among their impacts and among their benefits less stress, anxiety, depression, and loneliness, also more friendships, more social support, more collaboration. We, sh- uh, we have a shift in perspectives that encourages optimism. We have more creativity, more productivity, better health, better sleep, and my personal favorite, longer lives. By seven to nine years on the average, not an insignificant amount of longer life. So in the minister's message in our newsletter, I quoted Gigi Leach, and among, um, in part of that quote, um, she says, resiliency has to have a forward thrust, too. The elasticity to reform, stretch, adjust, and delight in each new vision of purpose, which springs it forward, not just backward. Our hearts beat strongly, resiliently, when we love and trust each other, even if we disagree. So, what can we do? How can we capture this resiliency? So, some, um, some practices that we could try in these more difficult times. Nurture hope with gratitude. So we've talked about gratitude sometimes before, but gratitude, the point of nurturing gratitude is not to deny that bad things happen, but we acknowledge that good things also happen at the same time. Maureen gave us that example this morning in Joys and Sorrows. She has concerns, but also lifted up this great thing about taking the boys to New York. And we also magnify and celebrate the things that make us happy and bring us delight and comfort. You can also find peace within yourself. And this is our mindfulness. So this is, you can meditate, actively meditate. If you think you can't sit for that and actively meditating, something that you can do that doesn't require you to think. Just walking and enjoying the weather outside, If you go into a mall, maybe sometimes, and walk around the mall, you can do that without thinking, and that's walking meditation can be a way of doing that as well. What do you do that brings you quietness and rest and inner peace? Any of those things. It doesn't have to just be a sitting meditation. I like to knit. For for me, knitting just takes my mind away from what I'm thinking of, and it's really, it brings me that breath, and I can relax. Exercise kindness and compassion. So in fight or flight, we see everything around us as a threat, and we experience the world as, as, with a strong negativity bias. Find ways that you can exercise empathy, kindness, and compassion for your friends, your neighbors, coworkers, a way to bring, give yourself some relief from that negativity The whole world isn't doing bad things. There are good things to lift up and elevate. Give yourself the opportunity to recognize and see those things and embrace them. Make connections. This is the easiest way to do this. Whose are you? Not who are you, but whose are you? Who are the people that make you happy, that bring you delight and comfort? Who are your your tribe, your community? You reach out, ask for help. We all have friends that we can go out with and grab a beer or a coffee, go dancing maybe, or see a movie together. Just chat, but do it face to face. Get together, 
and be together with your people. Give up social media. Perish the thought. I know. It's scary. (laughs) Just for a day. Start with just a day. I promise there is nothing that you are going to miss that is going to need you for 24 hours. And trust me, someone will catch you up on what it is. Eventually, try to work your way up to a week. I do little weekends myself. I I haven't thought about a whole week yet, but... um, it gives you a chance to get this social media inherently is that negativity bias pool. And when you are constantly swimming in it, you can't see anything but that. So give yourself a break from it. It's okay. Now, we might feel inappropriate focusing on our own happiness or delight when there is so much trauma or suffering or struggling in the world. But as I mentioned before, life still happens. I find this poem from um, Jack Gilbert, A Brief for the Defense, to be a helpful perspective. So, and this is an excerpt from it. Sorrow everywhere. Slaughter everywhere. If babies are not starving someplace, they are starving somewhere else. But we enjoy our lives because that's what God wants. Otherwise... The mornings before summer dawn would not be made so fine. The Bengal tiger would not be fashioned so miraculously well. The poor women at the fountain are laughing together between the suffering they have known and the awfulness in their future, smiling and laughing while somebody in the village is very sick. There is laughter every day in the terrible streets of Calcutta, and the women laugh in the cages of Bombay. If we deny our happiness, resist our satisfaction, we lessen the importance of their deprivation. We must risk delight. We can do without pleasure, but not delight, not enjoyment. We must have the stubbornness to accept our gladness in the ruthless furnace of this world. To make injustice the only measure of our attention is to praise the devil. If the locomotive of the Lord runs us down, we should give thanks that the end had magnitude. We must admit, there will be music despite everything. So, effective stress management resolutions typically touch on five areas and five aspects. It's the cognitive or the thinking, the thinking part of us, emotional, behavioral, physical, and spiritual. Now consider if you're already feeling so stressed that adding, the thought of adding one more thing to de-stress the stress is making you even more stressed. Think about what you might already do that holds those five things within them. Or maybe something that you put aside because you didn't think you had time for that. But so, for example, maybe you like watching or playing a sport on TV or playing a pickup, like pickup basketball. So that's physical, right? And you get together with other people to do it. So there's your social. And it makes you happy. It makes you feel good. There's your emotional. And wait, where's my list again? Um, <laughs> and... 
And when you're done and you're done playing or you're done watching with these people and you go out feeling happy, you just want to do better things and you want to be happier, that's your behavioral. And we can find spiritual in there somewhere, right? For spiritual, for, you know, for us as Unitarian Universalists, it's a different thing. So, you know, if it, if it can help you see that, that inner or hear that inner voice that, yes, do this, that's your spiritual part. Um, for me, again, it's knitting. So for me, knitting is, um, so you have a hard time with the physical with the knitting, except that I am moving my hands, but it helps me relax. There's my, um, my behavioral. Um, it makes me happy, so I have my emotional. Um, I can think about a pattern that I'm doing and disengage from everything that's going on outside, so that's my, my thinking side. And it does, it does give me access to that inner voice for me. So that's, that's my spiritual. Um, someone told me if I just get up and walk around the house before I sit down and knit, then that can be my physical. So that all, I works all of that in there, right? So, so we don't have to really overthink this and go, oh my gosh, I've got to find an hour to sit down and meditate so that this is part of my de-stress. It doesn't have to be that. Look at what you already have in your life and find the things that already fit that category, and then once you know what those are, protect them. Protect them. Write them in your calendar in ink instead of pencil, right? And make sure that those are the things that you do, especially now. Think of two things that when, you know, on your normal level of stress, two things that you have as a backup that you can do. And then when it's really, really bad, think of two other things that you can include into that. And then find an accountability buddy. Talk about what those things are. Talk every week or every couple of weeks when you come here on Sunday morning. So how's that going for you? How are those, those stress management practices working for you? How's your stress? And um, do that for each other. And that's that social connection. That's another way to stay there. Or maybe we can make it fun. We're going to run out of time. Um, <laughs> um, so game designer Jane McGonigal did a TED Talk on um, a game that you can extend your life by 10 years. So do you want to play real quick? Yeah? All right. So here we go. There's quest number one. Either take a pick. You choose. Stand up and take three steps or make your hands into fists and raise them over your head as high as you can for five seconds. Go. All right. Look at that. Yay. Awesome. So this is physical resilience. So it means your body heals itself faster and can withstand more stress when you have physical resilience. Um, and so move your body a little bit every day. So if you sit for, try to not sit for more than an hour at a time um, or however you can best do that. So quest number two, ready? Um, snap your fingers exactly 50 times or count backwards from 100 by 7. So 193 like that. Ready? Go. Keep going. I'm done. All right. You done? Everybody's done? Awesome. That's great. So this is mental resilience. So now you have mental focus and discipline and determination and willpower. We can build willpower just like a muscle the more that we use it. 
So when you can follow through with a small challenge, even a little mundane thing like snapping fingers, if you do a task like that every day, you are improving your willpower. So quest number three, um, since we're inside, if you're inside, find a window to look out or do a quick Google image search for baby, your favorite animal. Go. And if you don't have a phone with you, but while that option, I'll stop. Oops, whoops, whoops. Killing my... All right. Here's your baby animals. Yeah, everybody love it. Great. <laughs> so this is... Where is this? Wait. This is emotional resilience. The ability to provoke positive, powerful emotions like curiosity or love, like we do when we look at baby animals. Um, This is, you need to be able to to provoke these emotions. If you can experience three positive emotions for every one negative over the course of an hour, a day, a week, this is called the three-to-one positive emotion ratio. And it really helps improve your focus and your ability to solve problems. And the last quest, quest four. Shake someone's hand for six seconds or send someone a quick thank you by text, email, Facebook, Twitter. Go. This is social resilience. So you can gather strength from your friends, family, neighbors, and community. Gratitude is a great way to boost social resilience, but touch is even better. So do you remember the facets of effective stress management? Physical, this was quest one we just did. Cognitive, which was mental, Um, this was quest two. Emotional, quest three. Behavioral, this could be our social for quest four. So if we practice this very game on a daily basis, along with mindfulness and compassion, we accomplish that fifth aspect, spiritual. So Saturday, February 29th, is Leap Day. How will you celebrate your extra 24 hours? Now remember, even if your obligations won't permit you to have that time on Saturday, it is not just an extra day for February. It is an extra day for the whole year. This year has 366 days. So how will you use that? Will you be able to use that 24 hours for resilience-focused time? How about one hour every other week? Two hours once a month? Six hours every season? Resilience is a direct outcome of practicing compassion, joy, delight, and love. More compassion leads to more resilience. Despite the resistance to find a way to fight for a renewal of your own heart, are, you, are there ways you can use this time to claim a, joy, a life of joy and delight for gratitude, healing, courage, hope, for a life that is more for ourselves, more than for ourselves? I close with these words from Alea Kemmler. I absolutely believe it will be fine more than fine. I don't know this for sure, of course, but what I do know for sure is that hope matters. I know for sure that hope can change the outcome of things because when we are hopeful, we take better care of each other. We take better care of ourselves and we take better care of the future. 
I also believe that one of the most powerful and healing things we can do as human beings is to hold hope for someone else when that person can't carry it for themselves.